good morning. I just want to highlight a few things here before I jump into this morning's sermon as we kick off a new series. Uh, first of all, in your program, there's an insert called the Generosity Initiative. It's something that we launched last week, and you can find details about that. But as we were talking about, in fact, in our adult ed class uh, earlier this morning at 9 o'clock about uh, us being cheerful givers and the opportunity that we have uh, to join God in his, in his generosity. And I encourage you to take a look at that and to perhaps step forward in terms of your giving, uh, not as a guilt thing, uh, not as a shame thing, but something that uh, you really feel like it's going to grow you spiritually. And then after this morning's service, we're going to have a brief prayer time right in the front um, as we pray over our generosity initiative. And then secondly, uh, this morning we have a handful of runners uh, running the Twin Cities Marathon. There they are right there. And that's at about 7.30 this morning. And uh, let's go to the next slide here. And then they're in line about to run. <laughs> Look at that. And uh, somebody mentioned that there's about 25,000 runners uh, in this marathon. So pretty incredible. Uh, and I mentioned last week they've raised over $41,000 to provide clean water uh, for children in Africa. It's absolutely amazing. So uh, if you think about it, just be praying for them this morning as they're uh, running this marathon and having the stamina to, to finish. And, and just incredible. I talked to Nick Johnson, the leader of this ministry, and, and just how inspiring he has been for a number of us uh, in terms of really uh, going after it and raising this up as a part of our vision to go to go and make a difference in the world and to uh, provide uh, clean water for children in developing countries like Africa. So it's just a, just a God thing. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father God, we give thanks this morning and thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as a community and wherever we're at, Lord, spiritually, mentally, attitudinally, I pray that uh, we just take a breath and be open uh, to what you have for us. God, thank you for your presence that you're here. We don't have to ask you to show up. You're, you're already here. It's really a prayer about us showing up. So God, help us to be aware of what you're trying to teach us, what you're trying to uh, change in us. God, it's our desire to grow in our, in our spiritual faith. And to do that, we need a community like this. And God, we need your help as well. Thank you for this sermon. Pray your blessing upon this. And uh, God, as we talk about patience, I, I feel like I'm the last person to be able to talk about this in my own life. And uh, yet, uh, you brought this message forth. And God, I pray that you would multiply it in our lives and that uh, you would use it um, in a number of ways this week that this wouldn't simply be uh, regulated to a Sunday morning, but actually uh, be something that would uh, carry with us during the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Came across a story about a pastor. Um, he, was, he was driving uh, to his church office, and he was going on a particular route, and it was a two-lane road, and the two lanes went to one lane, and there was this car in front of him who was going about a mile per hour below the speed limit, and the pastor was in a hurry. And was getting frustrated because this driver, and there was no cars in front of the other car, uh, was not speeding up. And the pastor, exasperated, uh, started a white knuckle, a steering wheel, 
um, instead of maybe quoting Bible verses or something like that, started to shake his, his, his fist at the guy in front of him, like, get going, get going. And then uh, flashed his lights, used his blinkers, tried everything possible, and the guy wasn't speeding up at all. And it was just, the pastor was about to lose it, okay? Doesn't happen to this pastor, but it happens to that pastor. Uh, but, and he was trying everything possible to get the guy to, to speed up because the pastor was in a hurry. He was late for an appointment at the church office. And then finally, finally he lays on the horn, which in Minnesota is like the last thing you do, right? You know, it, it, it just circumvents the Minnesota niceness. Although when you go to other parts of the country, like Africa, for example, they use the horn more than, more than they use their blinkers. I mean, it's just a constant sound. But anyways, he lays on the horn, and finally, he gets the guy's attention, and, and the guy sped up a little bit. And then finally, the one lane went back to two lanes, and the pastor veers over in the left lane, glares over, because that's really effective, by the way, <laughs> glares over at this guy, and the pastor's got this scowl on his face, and right away, right away he recognizes him. Uh, he's a member of his church. So instantly, the pastor put his head down, just sped up, went back to the church office and, and tried to forget about it. And he was just thinking, maybe, the, maybe he didn't recognize me. Maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't know it was me. And he just kind of brushed it aside, worked on, uh, he actually had the, had the appointment, so he had the appointment and then he worked on the sermon later on and then had dinner with his family and later on, this nagging feeling wasn't going away. He just felt ob absolutely guilty and felt bad. Finally, he called up uh, this, me this church member to apologize and just say, hey, Jim, I'm so sorry. That was me that was behind you and honking my horn and then glaring at you. And the, and the guy said, pastor, I had no idea. So immediately the pastor thought, oh man, I should have just kept quiet. <laughs> True story. And, and the, the guy, Jim, said, no, I didn't, I didn't recognize you, but you know what, Pastor? We all lose our, lose our patience at one time or another. And it's so true, isn't it? We lose our patience. It happens to us. And, and it seems like uh, as we kick off this series about parenting, and this, this, this message is going to apply to wherever you're at, whether you have kids, adult kids, no kids at all, uh, young kids, that patience, it seems like it's one of those characteristics it, it just sounds really good, but it's so hard. It's so hard to actually exhibit that in our lives, especially in our lives that are so crammed with schedules and tasks, and we're doing so many things. It just seems like patience in the 21st century is, is becoming an, an extinct characteristic. So this morning, I want to dive into this, this idea, this word of patience. So you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Because the Bible tells us, actually, that patience is possible. That patience is something that God actually brings about in our own lives. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 22. And this is a section that's commonly, commonly referred as the fruits of the Spirit. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the slide behind me, or you can pull up it on your Bible app. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And the Apostle Paul writes this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, that sounds almost like sort of a Hallmark card, right? 
does that really happen in our lives? Is that something that I can bring about? And I think it's very important for us to note that this is something that the Holy Spirit produces in you. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings this about in your life. That's why it doesn't say the fruits of Craig Case uh, or, or the, the fruits of Colin Boggs. It doesn't say that, or the fruits of Jim Asp. It doesn't say that. It says the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So if you're a person who has said yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior and the, and the leader of your life, if you're new to Christianity, something miraculous happened in your life is that the Holy Spirit resides in you. The King of Kings is in your heart. The Holy Spirit resides inside of you. And because of that, the Holy Spirit is trying to bring about these fruits in your life. So it's not just up to you, but it's, it's the Holy Spirit making this happen. And what's interesting, as we read uh, the, the fruits here in the list, love, joy, peace, those are, you know, seem a bit abstract, more conceptual. But when we get to patience, that's like the nitty-gritty of life, isn't it? I mean, it's really getting into the mess of life. And we start talking about patience. And what's very, really interesting about this, because in the Greek New Testament, there's several words that are used for the word patience. But with, with, with this, in, this, in this regard, the way this uh, word is used, actually, it means to be in relationship. It's a patience towards people. It's not a patience towards circumstances, like you're waiting for that grade for, from that one class or that essay that you were working on, or it's not, it's not that patience, you're, you're waiting to hear the news about that job interview. No, the patience that's used here in Galatians 5.22 is a patience that we need to have in relationship with people. It has a relational nuance to it. And each of the other Greek words that are used for patience also have sort of a, a, of a nuance to it. This one is utterly relational. And it's no coincidence because that's where we, we find that, the need for patience. And if we were to sum up life, whether it's parenting, whether it's just living life, wouldn't you say patience kind of sums it all up? Having patience, needing more patience? So what I want you to do is think about a, a, a time, perhaps a moment, maybe it was this morning, maybe this was past week, maybe it was recently, where you lost your patience. Or maybe something that triggers your impatience, okay? Now, we're going to be vulnerable here. We're a church, right? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, okay? I want you to turn to a few people around you and just kind of share the story, perhaps impatience or maybe something that triggers impatience in your life, okay? Go. All right. 
let's, let's have a couple of you share. Can we do that? Any, any courageous souls? Something that maybe you were impatient or something that triggered impatience in your life? What's that? Gophers? Oh, road work. It's where my, my mind is. That, that caused my impatience yesterday watching Iowa beat us. Anyways, yeah, road work, especially in Minnesota, no question. It's endless. It's endless. Good. What else? Kids. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, kids. Anything in particular about kids that triggers your impatience? <laughs> oh, that's good. What's that? Yeah, when they're little. Yeah, Lisa's sharing when they're little and they want to do everything on their, on their own. Yeah, yeah. Tying their shoes takes five minutes and you're just like, Ugh. yeah, good. Anybody else? Work, yeah. Work takes a lot. Takes a lot of patience. Yeah, there's, I think, plenty of examples. So as I go through this, even though this is a, a parenting series, it, it's called, I Wish I Were a Parent, who dot, dot, dot. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, had more patience. I wish I were a parent who had more patience. And, and wherever you're at, this is going to apply to you. So if you have adult children, if you have children in college, if you have no children, uh, if you have children, uh, this is going to apply to you um, at certain parts. I am going to share a story from a, a mom that I talked to uh, that's kind of walked me through just a really good example of uh, her own experience, and I think it, it translates in a lot of different ways. But let's take a look at what I believe, in my opinion, uh, a time that tried the patience of Joseph and Mary. Probably they, they, they lost it, became impatient. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. And this is when uh, Jesus and his parents, they go to Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival, which is a very big deal. Thousands of Jews from around uh, the area all come into Jerusalem for this festival. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it says here in verse 41 of chapter 2, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. I mean, I'm sure they put up the amber alert on the camels, okay? Jesus is missing. Where is he? When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem, which, by the way, is a long journey, to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. He was gone for three days. How many of you as parents, your child at the grocery store at Target veers and goes down an aisle and just runs, and all of a sudden you can't find them? I mean, your heart's beating really fast. You're frantic. Imagine three days. Imagine Joseph and Mary. I mean, the, the being frantic, the impatience, the, the frustration, probably crying. So we pick it up here in, in verse uh, 46. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But I don't think his parents were that amazed, quite honestly. Missing him for three days. 
His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And I'll look at 12-year-old Jesus' response. But why did, why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? So uh, our junior high and high schoolers, if you ever get into a problem like that, your, your parents are looking for you, just, just quote that, that verse right there, okay? Yeah. But imagine, can you imagine Joseph and Mary hearing that and, and ready to lose it? We've been looking for you for three days. I'm sure they lost their patience. I'm, I'm sure they were frustrated. I'm sure they were exasperated with Jesus. Like, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you let us know ahead of time that you're going to do something like this? But, but what as parent, you know, Joseph and Mary, as parents, what do they do? Ground the Son of God? Spank the Son of God? I mean, I, I, I'm really curious. So many times in the Bible, like in between the lines, what happened after this? Very interesting. But yeah, yeah, we lose, we lose our patience. And I want to walk through a story that a mom gave me, and, I, and this applies to dads as well. But it was, it's a story where she was working in the corporate world for a number of years and would see uh, moms with their kids uh, walking with strollers and walking and spending time with their kids, and she longed for those days. And finally, uh, her and her husband decided to have children. So she uh, gave up her dress pants in the corporate world for sweatpants and three kids, ages three, two, and one. And uh, she talks about those, those years that where she had all uh, those three kids at that time. And she found something in her life uh, that, that was very interesting, that actually having children brought a, along a transformation in her life that was remarkable and hard. People often will ask me, uh, married couples will ask me, uh, you know, what's some of the greatest ways that we can grow in our, in our spiritual life? And I, I just say, have kids. It, it's a training, it really is. It's the training ground, I think, in so many ways towards um, living for Jesus and realizing just how hard life is and depending upon God. But she talks about that transformation where she gave up the dress pants for the sweatpants, and she noticed something about herself that as she cared for her three-year-old, her two-year-old, and her, her one-year-old, and some of you are right in the midst of that, you have four or five kids or three kids, you're right in the midst of that. She said that she saw her life being invaded by God in, a, in, a, in an amazing way, where with the birth of each of her children, she said, there, there emerged in her this, this good side of her, this loving, this caring, this affectionate mom that she never knew existed. On the flip side, also what became revealed to her was this really dark side where she was frazzled and angry and impatient. In fact, she didn't even recognize that person. She didn't even know that existed inside of her. And she kind of compares it um, in, in regard to uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the famous book from Robert Louis Stevenson, is that this split personality and what she said, and if you're taking notes this morning, is that what parenthood does, it really reveals opposing forces are at work. And that, I think that's true in each of our lives. But she said in, in parenting, she realized that there was a side of her that was loving and caring, and this other side where she was going to lose it in a second when her daughter took five minutes to tie her shoe, you know, or they spilled juice or what have you. 
it seemed like it, it would mount up. And she had a hard time dealing with that, dealing with that struggle with these two, two opposing forces. I want to read a quote from you. It's from uh, Sheila Kissinger, Ourselves as Mothers. And I think it's in your teaching notes, or it's, not, it's going to be on the slide, but it says this. Becoming a mother is a biological process, and I think this applies to dads as well. It's also a social transformation, and one of the most dramatic that a parent can experience. The home is supposed to be a haven of love and good feelings, she writes. Thus, it comes as a great disappointment to many parents when it proves not to be so. For home is also a place where the ugliest and most destructive moments are experienced. Where there's disturbing interpersonal conflict and inside four walls, these raw feelings are concentrated and mixed together as if in a pressure cooker. She writes this, she hates or he hates what they've become. Happy as a father and mother when they have a child, although they may enjoy in being a mother or father, they must now pay a price for parenthood. And it's the total and virtual annihilation of self. For those who are thinking about having kids, that's a very optimistic statement, isn't it? But it's so true. As a dad, I have a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old. And I didn't realize that going into it. And we had kids at a very young age. I, I had Alex when I was 25. And then I, we had Allison when I was 27. I was very young. I was kind of just learning life myself. And it's one thing to kind of learn and be more mature as you're 20-something. But then all of a sudden you're raising these kids. And it's just like you have to put yourself on the back burner so many times. And you become cognizant of just how selfish you are. And that's exactly what happened in this mom as she shared her story with me, is that over and over, what became revealed as she took care of her three-year-old and her two-year-old and her one-year-old is just how selfish she was. And she had to deal with that and had to make changes. And even in the midst of that and realizing that sort of dark side of being so selfish, there's also, again, the other part of her, the Dr. Jekyll part, where even though she was hungry, she wanted to feed her kids first. She was more concerned about her, her children's schedule, their, her, their sleep, and, and what they would wear. And she began to engage in more unselfish things. And she became more patient over time, more calm, more reasonable, more generous. And she said, this is a good thing. God is forming this in me, in my life. And again, then there was the other person. And she would say, who is that person? It talks that way and yells in the snap of a finger and, 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 and loses her temper so quickly. Who, who is that? And then she asked, asked this question, how can I make that person go away? And she recounts a story in particular where her infant son, his name is Johnny, was clinging on onto her like a monkey and they were, they're at home getting things ready um, in the morning and about to have breakfast and Johnny's clinging on to her and she's getting the two-year-old and the three-year-old ready and she's saying goodbye to her husband at seven o'clock in the morning and the house is a mess and there is no groceries and as her husband is walking out the door, he says, by the way, honey, I have no clean underwear. And she said the load of laundry was high enough uh, to absolutely suffocate the entire family. Some of you have been there. And then while this was going on, her three-year-old at the breakfast table was begging with her to play Candyland. 
And in all honesty, she says this, I hate Candyland. <laughs> Absolutely hate Candyland. So there's no food in the house, there's, and they had to go to the grocery store. So she had to go to the grocery store with a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. Makes her way to the grocery store, and you can imagine. She's got the, the, the infant clinging onto her still, won't let go. She has the, the two-year-old in the grocery cart, and the three-year-old is doing laps up and down the aisle. And it, get, it got to a point where she's like, you know what, the three-year-old's going to turn up at some point. And, and finally, she has this, this, this cart full of groceries, and it's stacked so high, she can't get anything else in there. So she has this big pad of diapers, and she has to kick it down the aisle to make her way to the checkout lane. Okay? And finally, she turns, and, and she's in the toilet paper section, and she absolutely loses it. Just cries. Because there's this rage and this anger that's inside of her with everything that's going on, and she's about to absolutely lose it. And she just begins to cry, and somehow she makes, it, makes her way to the checkout lane. And she's asking the question in the car as she loads the groceries, gets the, cars in the, uh, or the kids in the car, what am I doing with my life? Look at who I've be I become. So back at home, she unloads the groceries and fixes lunch while the ice cream melts, she says, and took the kids to the park before rest time. And going to a park, she said, with three children is no fun. Three young children. And she's sitting on the bench, and they're having, you know, they're playing in the playground, and she just keeps saying to herself, one, two, three, one, two, three. I came with three, I have to leave with three. <laughs> By the time she gets home, it's rest time, and she's a wreck. And she says this, I hate myself. I hate my children. I hate this life I'm in right now. And she puts her kids in the room and shuts the doors, and of course, none of them slept. And she just goes into the garage, and she just cries. And she actually thought she was going to lose her mind. And, and some of you parents know exactly what that's like. I mean, you're about to lose your mind. And she knew at 4 o'clock when her husband got back from work that the house would look exactly the way it was in the morning, a big mess. And she felt like she was becoming this person who was so impatient, so frazzled, so rude, so angry. And, and she knows parents that aren't like that. Uh, as I've talked to some other parents this week, certain parents have, it seems like, this more pa patient disposition. But she said, that's not me. And she knows moms and, and dads who are more patient and kind toward their children almost all the time when she sees them. And she says, I admire them. I don't like them, but I admire them. But she says, that's not me. And what she said it was that through this whole day and through this whole process, she said, because there were a, a series of these moments like this, these days, that God was holding up a mirror in her life. Holding up a mirror to show her the side of her. Not to have guilt, not to have shame, but to say, okay, I need to change that side of me. Not perfectly, but I need to take a step forward to become a better person. So a few months after that incident, she actually, this parent talked to me and said, you know, she called, she called her friend named Sue, and 
she talked to Sue and said, as a result of books that I've been reading and sermons I've been hearing and conversations I've been making, she said, I, I think I've come to this realization that I struggle with anger with my kids. And she said, I'm not a screamer. I don't hit. Um, but in terms of, for her, it's that voice. In a very short time, she can communicate to her kids, I'm busy, you're bothering me, leave me alone. What, what I'm doing is more important, just leave me alone. And she was hoping her friend Sue would say something like, gosh, you know what, we've all been there before. We've all experienced that. But Sue didn't do that. Her silence was deafening. And then she said this, I can see that. That's a trusted friend. And a friend saying something like that, and we talked about truth-telling last week. That's speaking truth into somebody's life. And those words help this mom really make some important changes in her life. To, to notice that this capacity that she has to yell at her defenseless children. She said, you know what? If, if a person were to come to my house a friend or even a stranger, and they, if they spilled a cup of juice, I wouldn't yell at them. So why do I yell at my defenseless children all the time when they spill things? Made her realize that she needed to make some changes. And, and one of the things that she talked about, I think it's important for each of us, um, is the need for God. Parenthood so it's the second fill in the blank. Parenthood shows us our need for God. And I would say um, work or other aspects of your life too where you feel like you're in a pressure cooker. Maybe it doesn't relate so much to parenthood. But your need for God. And we talk about that quite a bit. But what, what, what this parent told me is that uh, yes, you know, she, need, she needed to do devotions. Yes, she needed to talk to friends. Yes, she needed to rest. But what she desperately needed at the foundation of her life was a need to depend upon God. So going forward, for her, it wasn't the magic bullet. It, it didn't, like, work every time perfectly. But for her, it was simply beginning the day by saying, God, I need you. I need you to to change this side of me that's in disrepair. This side of me that is a Mr. Hyde. I need you to work in my life and I submit to you. And she would say that over and over and over again. And pretty soon she began to see that patience began to happen. In Galatians 5.22, she saw that the Holy Spirit was doing a work in her life and was bringing about love, joy, peace, and patience. And it was profound. Not perfectly, there's still those days, but that submitting each day to, to God and allowing His Spirit to bring about something that she humanly was not able to do was a big step in her spiritual life. And God does that for us, doesn't He? Holds a mirror up in a variety of ways to show us Shows us, shows us areas in our lives that we need to take steps towards. And I want to encourage you this morning, as you think about patience, what are some steps that you need to take? And I want to give you uh, some, some takeaways this morning. Simply um, reasons why we lose our patience, and then this, uh, a few 
ways that you can build your, your patience. So the first one, how we lose our patience, and I was talking to some parents in the, in the lobby about this as well. One of them is fatigue. Fatigue causes a lot of our impatience, doesn't it? When we're tired, when we're at the end of our rope, and it seems like when you wake up in the morning, you're, you're so tired, you're not sure how you're going to get through the day. So you've got to make sure you get enough rest. Next is displaced anger, where we can have anger towards perhaps somebody or a circumstance, and yet that anger for some reason gets channeled into our loved ones, our children, um, our spouse, our friends. That can happen as well. Unrealistic expectations. It's, it's where we have this agenda and, and we're trying to juggle all these things, four or five things, and we think everything is going to work out exactly the way we, we expect, and it, and, it, and it doesn't. It's like Jenga. All of a sudden it falls down. And that causes us to lose our impatience. Also, a failure to plan. I know that's true for me, is that oftentimes I'll lose my patience when I haven't planned properly. And then lastly a, is a distorted perspective. When we think as parents that it's the children against us. It's like they're trying to take us on. It's us against them. And, and sometimes we have that, that sort of distorted perspective, like, like they're the enemy. And they're trying to annoy us. They're trying to purposely push our buttons. And, and perhaps sometimes they do. But other times, they're not. They're just being kids. Okay. Now, five ways that you can build um, in, your, in your patience. Five ways that you can build in your patience. Some takeaways. Number one, obviously, is to have realistic expectations. Can you really do those four or five things in that short amount of time? Can you really multitask and pull everything together? Whether it's with kids or it's with your job or what have you is to have realistic expectations. And maybe instead of trying to do all 10 of those things, maybe bring it down a notch. Maybe it's six or seven. Number two, you got to ask the question, how significant is this? In the whole grand scheme of things, how significant is this when you really think about life? And sometimes when I ask that question, it's like, this is small potatoes. And that helps me take a breath. It kind of helps me bring back patience in my life. Number three, it could be worse. Good mentor in my life, he would tell me that. And when I was doing church planting, he said, Craig, you're going to come across challenges. You need to keep saying to yourself, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be worse. And he was right. That would get me through hurdles that I was facing in my ministry. It could be worse. Number four, plan ahead. As I mentioned earlier, plan ahead have an achievable plan, and to work together as husband and wife with your kids. And this last one is specific for children. If all else fail, fails, drop your kids off. Drop your kids off at grandpa and grandma's house. Turn the phone off. Go to the airport and spend two weeks in Maui. <laughs> That's going to help you have more patience. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for your parenting. As we think about how we need to grow in our patience, we're reminded so much of you as our Heavenly Father showing patience to us, long-suffering, being slow to anger when we sin. 
when we engage in activities and make decisions that go against your will. So as we seek to be more patient people, is to realize that God, you're walking alongside of us and you understand exactly what this is like. Thank you that we can come to the Bible, we can come to uh, your word and to find answers centuries later on a topic of like patience and parenting or patience in life. Your word is timeless. Let us make it authoritative in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said?